Welcome to the Preacher's Podcast for Proper 10 in Year A. Our series is Define Christian, and we are letting Jesus, through his words and other parts of Scripture, define what it means to be a follower of Christ. Uh, let's meet our preachers for this series. Perhaps you've listened the last couple episodes and gotten to know them a little bit already. Uh, Pastor Andy Miller from Beautiful Savior in Las Vegas, Nevada, and Pastor Tom Unke from Shepherd of the Hills in Las Vegas. And also with us today is Professor Bill Tackmeyer from the seminary. So good to be with you all this uh, day talking about sower and seed and uh, related imagery from God's word. Uh, Andy Miller, could we start out with you? Could you give us just a little synopsis about uh, a synopsis of this week in the Define Christian series? Sure, thanks. And always happy to visit with you, brothers. Today is in, uh, really a motivating text. Christians, you could say, are defined by an effective word. And the theme for today really keys on how effective is the word of God and, and really all three readings. If I could, I'd just take you back to Genesis 1, where you remember how the Lord repeated the phrase, and it was so, six times in six days. He says, and it was so, and it was so, and it was so. When God spoke at creation, his word accomplished his purpose and without any assistance. Then fast forward a little bit to Jesus' ministry. Remember how Jesus said to the paralyzed man, get up. How he said to the storm on the sea, quiet, be still, to Jairus' daughter, Talitha Kum, to the deaf mute, Ephatha, to Lazarus, come out. And of course, to all, when he said, it is finished. It's, the idea is when Jesus spoke too, his word accomplished his purpose entirely on its own and for the most compassionate reasons. Now, just as a side note, the, I, the ILCW series used to divide this sermon text for today that we'll be studying from Isaiah between two Sundays. And the way they broke it apart was they took verses six through nine to emphasize the freedom of God's grace and the urgency of God's call on one Sunday. And then they took verses 10 and 11 to emphasize that God's word always accomplishes his purpose. And so obviously today our theme is going to combine those two. And then maybe just to sum it up too, last week, Jesus called us to repent and to find rest exclusively in him. This week conveys the heart of God with a similar tone, but with a, an added hint of urgency, an added hint of urgency, and with an added emphasis on the way the word works when we bring our sins or when, when we come near to God when we bring our sins to him. Thank you for that uh, summary, Andy. Very helpful as we think about how this Sunday fits in with the others around it. Uh, Tom Unke, let's go to you next. We'll focus on the first reading as our sermon text today, uh, but before we get into that, could you remind us of what the gospel and the second reading are and how the Isaiah reading will fit in with them? Sure. Good morning to all of you and uh, it's a joy to be with you again. I just wanted to uh, point out in the readings that it's, they're probably the readings you would expect. You know, sometimes when you look at three readings, you try, you really have to do some uh, creative weaving to make them work together into a theme, but these are obvious. Uh, 
the gospel lesson, of course, as you would expect, is the sower and the seed. And as Andy summarized very well, you know, it emphasizes the power of the word being entirely from God. And it emphasizes that our role is the privileged role of being the sower. And uh, we're not the ones who bring about the results. We're simply the ones who are privileged to sow. And that's reflected in 1 Corinthians 3, 5 to 11, when Paul is writing to that uh, fractured church in Corinth and saying that, you know, it's not the sower that's that important. It's we're just here to speak. We're messengers. And, and the word itself is so powerful. And I think, uh, I don't know, as a preacher, there are times when I, I go through the pericope and I am a pretty much a straight up pericope preacher, but uh, there are times when I think, man, we sure are hitting the concept of the word of God being so important. And of course, I'm not downplaying it, but it seems like the theme comes up again and again. But then you work with people who have dabbled in other denominations and, and uh, see the people out in the world, and you start to realize that even within the Christian church, there's such an emphasis on prayer and um, just simply calling yourself a Christian without ever having to do a ton of, of uh, attending or growing or digging into scripture. And, and you realize, I don't think we can overemphasize this theme. And I uh, think it's very pertinent and powerful to have a message based upon these three readings. So look forward to preaching on it. Yeah, Jesus bringing us back again to the power of the word. Um, I think you're right in our current context. Um, hard to overemphasize that um, such a vital, uh, a vital uh, foundational truth. Uh, Bill Tackmeyer, let's get into that uh, word of God about the word uh, today. Um, and one of the, uh, uh, the best known sections maybe in the Old Testament about the power of the word. Isaiah 55 verses 6 through 11. Um, I'll just turn it over to you, Bill, uh, whatever you'd like to highlight in the text. Um, whatever you'd like to point out or get us thinking about, uh, take it away. Sure. Um, as I was reading this text again, it really struck me how meaningful this would have been to Isaiah and to Isaiah's first readers or hearers, because he lives in a very uh, hot, dry country. Um, and he's using this metaphor of the word being like rain that comes down and fertilizes a crop and makes it verdant. Um, There's so many uh, experiences from his life and from the life of Israel that really come to mind. Um, he lived at the time that Hezekiah dug that tunnel through rock in order to bring water into Jerusalem. So he knew how hard it was to grow something in a country like that or to, to give people water to drink. And the context of this particular text is especially interesting because the beginning of the chapter begins with that, all you who are thirsty, let me give you this water, this water that, that is free of charge, that, that God just wants to give out abundantly. And then another thing to remember with this text is the background of the second half of Isaiah, 
where he is speaking to a generation that lives 150 years after him uh, when they're going to be in the Babylonian captivity and how the Lord is going to bring them back uh, through the through the desert. You know, uh, Isaiah speaks so often of like streams in the desert and that kind of thing. And so this text too is very rich in that kind of imagery that the word of God is so powerful and um, is so, like, like Andy said, you know, it's effective. And, and besides that, it's free of charge. God just gives it to people. It just occurred to me, we're blessed to have two guys from Las Vegas uh, here too. Uh, they can identify with, um, yeah, streams in the desert. Uh, uh, thank you, Bill, for that. Yeah, putting it in the historical context, reminding us of what that is. Uh, Tom? I just wanted to play off what Bill was saying too for just a second. Um, you're right, it, living in the desert has made a lot of those passages much more meaningful. I, you know, living in Wisconsin, or I served in squishy, wet Washington for a long time too. But um, when it says, "You're the Lord is the sh my shade at my right hand," that means a whole lot more when it's 112 degrees out, and you can stand in the shade in that heat, but you can't in the direct sunlight. It's just you can't do it. You can't survive. So, but this picture of the water. Um, Right now, I know we're um, in the midst of a uh, summer as we're recording this podcast. And for about the last 10 days, maybe not quite that long, we've had intermittent showers almost every day, some pretty impressive storms. And it had been two years before, uh, two years without rain. And now every day it's been raining. And man, you should see my backyard. <laughs> it is green and lush and all my plants which were hanging on for dear life are now uh, just beautifully green and lush so yeah what professor tagmeyer said is correct it's just a vivid picture that you don't necessarily always get when everything's always green so appreciate that perspective yeah um so a question for you guys uh Andy mentioned it before that this text used to be divided in some pericopal systems and maybe the one that we uh, often used, some of us, uh, verses 6 through 9 and then verses 10 through 11. Um, what do you see as the relationship between those two sections? So if preachers are, are thinking, I'm going to preach on this whole text, um, the seek the Lord section, my thoughts are not your thoughts, uh, verses 6, 7, 8, 9. And then, of course, the, um, the power of the word, uh, the word that produces effects, that brings new life, where there is only uh, this dryness. Um, how do you uh, go about talking about the relationship between those two sections, or what's the connecting point there? Um, Andy? One way you could address it is by bringing out the the gospel predominance of the text like for example even in the first verse with seek the lord while he may be found and the idea is not that you have to seek the lord in order to find him but that the lord is making himself available to be found so the lord is near mm -hmm. and so with that nearness idea it could be you know seeking the lord he is near he is um he is close he he makes himself available he loves you. He appeals to you. He woos you. 
And then the second half of the text would be, of course, in the glow of forgiveness, you have a powerful word and an effective word to produce fruit in you, to develop and mature your Christian life. And uh, when you're talking about that, the verdancy that you brought up before, Professor, the idea there would be, I, I think there's a connection even where uh, in the Hebrew, it's talking about um, how, you know, the, the seed gives birth to a sprout, gives birth to the green new life. And it, it, there's so many parallel passages, but one that comes immediately to mind is James 1, where it says he chose to give us birth through the word of truth. And, you know, you think about uh, rain and, and snow coming down. It can be a slushy, sloppy, muddy mess. But then when the sun comes out and you see the budding life that it has produced, it, it's just as beautiful. It's captivating. So anyway, that's one direction you could take it where you talk about the, the gospel appeal at the beginning and then the fruit that the gospel produces in the second half of the text. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, Tom? When I guess, you know, that my ways are not your ways and my thoughts are not your thoughts, you know, that central area of this text, I've used that, um, you know, just to try to explain hardships that people face and say, I don't understand it, but the Lord does. And I don't think it's an illegitimate use, but the more you look at this text, the more I think that he's specifically talking to his mercy and grace, which is not typical among us. You know, if we, if we've been wronged, we demand repayment or we hold grudges. And he said, that's not my way. My way is loving and kind. the whole context from Isaiah 53 on, it, you know, is about grace and mercy and forgiveness and that's what makes us marvel at this text, and it pulls it all together. Great. Uh, Bill? Um, another really great thing about this text is that uh, I, you know, I always like to encourage the guys to study it in Hebrew. There are so many simple words in Hebrew here that are linked to, like Tom was saying, Isaiah 53, um, the thing about ways um, in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Of course, um, Isaiah had said, uh, each of us has turned to his own way. You know, we're, we all like sheep have gone our own way. And now he's continuing, he's picking up that theme here that, you know, we, our ways are to do evil, uh, to go away from the Lord, to be rebellious toward him. Um, so, um, Studying, studying it in the Hebrew, it, you, you really get some, some beautiful insights. Uh, or uh, the one Andy said about um, bringing forth, you know, that's in verse uh, 10, where you have the word holy da um, from Yalud, uh, and it's hifil, you know, causes to give birth, causes the earth to give birth. Um, or just a few vocables down the down the line from that, you have zera seed for the zorea for the sower. You know, there, there's just so many beautiful, uh, very vivid concepts in this text that um, the context of the previous chapters has kind of prepared you for this, and you as the preacher can you know bring out uh, these beautiful things in your sermon. We could say too, we, you know, it's, it's 
speculation. Uh, what did what was Jesus thinking when he told the parable of the sower? But you know, mm-hmm. the, the Old Testament is so rich in this type of imagery that um, surely it's in the backdrop uh, when Jesus Jesus tells the parable of the the sower casting out seed. Uh, he wants there to be new life, you know. So he's just throwing it out um, here and there. Um, uh, and I think that comes back to the the generosity that Andy mentioned, the mercy that's there. Uh, that is woven through the Isaiah reading here. Uh, Bill? Uh, and there's one more uh, vocable that I'd like to, to emphasize. It's in, where, where is it now? Um, it's the word uh, rava, kirva. It's uh, in the middle of verse 10. Um, uh, so that it's, it's, it really means to saturate. Um, but it saturates the earth. And the reason I'm pointing to it is because it's the same vocable that's used in the 23rd Psalm with my cup runneth over. Uh, the runneth over uh, word uh, is the same Hebrew vocable. So, you know, it's, it's abundant what God gives us. Uh, it's it, like Andy was saying, uh, it's verdant. Um, I, I kind of wish with... Um, a text like this one that we had in our common language, words like verdant, uh, but I think most of our, our hearers wouldn't understand it, but it really captures this idea of, you know, how abundant God's grace is that he gives to us in his word. Great, Great thoughts, Tom. Just to throw one more thought on to what Professor Tackmeyer was saying, um, abundant and then you add to that this passion that you hear from the Lord, you know, seek the Lord, you know, come to earlier in the chapter, he's saying, if you're thirsty, you know, I have the drink. He, he so desperately wants people to come to him. And I think we heard that throughout this series so far, the come to me, you who are weary and burdened and the, the sorrowing heart of Christ as he looks at Jerusalem. And I think you hear it again in this text is, it doesn't have to be that complicated. God's holding out the solution and it's refreshing and abundant and it's all about his grace. So it's a great, great gospel text. Well, speaking of which, yeah, well, we're getting into kind of the beautiful, the gospel pictures that are unique to this text and very powerful, this text. Um, what about uh, preaching the law from this text? Um, how do you handle that as a preacher? Um, is it just sort of the... Um, uh, we talked about the the rain and the snow bringing new life. Do you picture then the the death that is there without the enlivening word? Or um, what do you do as uh, you preach the law based on this text? Ideas for preachers that you could share? Andy? Maybe a little simplistic, but what the first hymn that came to mind for me was Lord, to you I make confession, because I love singing that hymn on on, uh, Ash Wednesday, and there's a line in there about how we have chosen for ourselves our way, or I have chosen for myself my way, and that really is at the heart and core of the wicked that the Lord is appealing to, these people who have chosen their own hadas, their own way, and that ultimately is the shaking of the fist in God's face. And he contrasts the thoughts of the wicked too, from the thoughts that Tom expounded upon 
a moment ago where the thoughts of the wicked are completely contrary to those of God. And so as a malady, I suppose I would, there's a, a couple of different ways you could angle that, but the idea would be wickedly rejecting the, uh, the Lord's call, which unbelievers of course do, or for believers, wickedly neglecting the Lord's call, calling yourself a Christian or saying that you're defined by Christianity, but then not heeding the Lord's urgent call to indulge his overflowing chesed and compassion. Mm-hmm. Uh, yet to that point, uh, Tom? Well, and right on off of what Andy was saying too about um, let the wicked forsake his ways. It's I hear Jesus also saying you deny yourself. So talking to Christian, um, there are some pet sins that we, you know, kind of grandfather in and allow for ourselves and um, God isn't mocked by those things. I, you know, dealing with a lady right now who is so thrilled that the Lord is letting her come back to church after, you know, falling deep into a really, really sinful lifestyle, which she is ashamed by and, and embarrassed of, but she still lives with a guy that, that uh, helped her up out of that tough lifestyle. And she can't understand why she's not ready for communion yet because she's coming to church every Sunday and loving it. But giving up the, the things that are your own thinking, your own thoughts, and forsaking your own ways, as, as Bill was saying before, um, that's all part of celebrating the refreshing new grace that, uh, or the new life that the grace of God brings to us. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Uh, Bill? Yeah, and I think it, the, the law has to zero in on uh, the thoughts and the ways, you know, of the, that, that first verse, um, because um, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, you know, he, he focuses in on our thoughts. You know, you, you think the fifth commandment is just talking about murder. No, it's any hateful thought that you have. Uh, uh, you think the sixth commandment is about adultery? Well, it's really about the lusts, you know, that you have. So, so Jesus really focuses in on those thoughts, and then ways. I would say another, another, uh, pa- another parallel passage that might work good in a sermon like this is uh, Psalm one, because it lays out, you know, the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked, and it ends with that strong warning that Isaiah also has here in our text, but the way of the wicked will perish, you know, and you've got, you've got the phrase there, uh, let the wicked forsake his way, you know, the way of the, this is a strong warning. Uh, Maybe another thing that would then play into uh, your law preaching is that verse seven has the word shuv in there, turn to the Lord. Now, shuv is a very uh, simple concept of turning, but often in the Old Testament, it's the word that's used for um, uh, repent or convert. You know, we have our, our fancy Latin words for those, but Hebrew just uses very simple terms like that. Now, we know that the gospel is the key catalyst that causes a person to repent or to convert, but it's kind of the hinge, I would say, in verse 7 between the law and then the gospel in what follows. So again, I, I, I want to emphasize, you know, 
guys, uh, uh, study the Hebrew and, and bring those, those very simple words to life in your sermon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good advice. And it, it, the challenge might be, as it often is with text rich in imagery, is to narrow down maybe, uh, fo- focus in on one or two of those concepts as you preach law and gospel based on the text. Tom? Another aspect that you could go to when you're preaching law here is, I guess, underestimating the power of the word. If we're talking about how God's word is effective and it accomplishes the purpose, doesn't return to him empty and without, you know, I think the whole concept there is without any value or um, for Christians to trust that God works powerfully through the word. And uh, even for Christian preachers, you don't have to doctor it up and make it more palatable. You don't have to twist it and turn it. Just speak the word like Paul would talk about in the first Corinthians reading and the gospel lesson as well. Speak the word and let the Lord do what he's going to do. And uh, so the malady in that would be to underestimate and not use the word with its full force and its full power. Somewhere in looking, you know, preparing for this, I I read about the means of grace and what a privilege it is for us to be able to say that God has chosen to work through the word. And that's the the meeting point between a God who is merciful and filled with grace and the sinner who is um, thirsty and maybe even troubled. But uh, the word is the place to turn to. And that's an incredible blessing, especially in a Christian church right now in Christianity where I see so many people who are so thrilled with the concept of direct revelation. Uh, God said this to me and God told me to do this. And it's just such a privilege to have such a powerful uh, word, which can do everything. The word, of course, power from the Holy Spirit, the one who creates light. Great. Bill? Um, Another passage that I thought of while I was preparing for this that emphasizes this urgent quality of turning to the Lord is 2 Corinthians 6. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor, I heard you. And in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. I think Paul is kind of echoing this idea from our text that, you know, seek the Lord while he may be found. The salvation is right there. Um, It's tantalizing. It's right in front of you. So lay hold of it. Right. It's both the urgency, but a gospel urgency, Uh, Mm -hmm. you know, both of those thoughts there. Yeah. As, as we've been talking about the, the mercy of God desiring, uh, people to come to life through the word and, you know, the sower wanting to see new life sprout up and continue to grow and bear fruit. Um, so the, the mercy of God, the grace of God behind it all. Um, something Tom said just reminded me something else preachers will probably have to think about. And I think this is true also. Um, if, if, uh, those who have preached on the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, um, kind of which perspective are we taking, um, are we thinking about this text in terms of uh, we Christians are the ones who are sowing the word and waiting to see what effect it will have? Uh, or 
and I think that's a legitimate perspective, right? Um, Isaiah, the prophet, Jesus, the sower, speaking with his disciples in earshot as they will be going out to proclaim the word. Or are we thinking it more in terms of uh, we are the ones uh, who are on the receiving end of the word? Um, we are the ones who are being brought to life. And of course, of course, both are true, but it's just probably something you'll have to think through as you think about preaching this sermon. What kind of what perspective uh, primarily are you approaching it from? Um, we're the ones speaking the word or we're the ones receiving the word primarily. Um, what about uh, uh, any possible theme ideas um, or uh, ways that you could kind of tie things together, um, even if it's just in the, the formative stages on uh, on this text? Possibilities for themes or kind of kind of the, a basic outline even. Uh, Tom? Um, I grew up in Manitowoc, Wisconsin, so lots of farming going on around there. And then I hear it here in the desert too. So I might even be a theme which is supposed to kind of force an introduction. Um, I just thought we sure could use some rain. Might be a good theme. Mm -hmm. And uh, obviously there's lots of different directions you can go with that, but it provides an introduction and leads you to the refreshing waters of the gospel and the grace of God's ways. Yeah. Yeah. The need that every single person has for this word that refreshes and gives life. Yeah. Uh, Andy? I've got a few different ideas, all, all pretty simple, but um, with regard to the urge, simply something like the time is short, seek the Lord, trust his word. Um, it, touching on the, the words with regard to the way sinners think and the way God's thoughts are so far high, more highly above ours, you could do something. In our, in our world, nobody likes to be told how to think or what to think. And so a theme, a possible theme king on that could be think Jesus, his mercy is near, his word is effective, something like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, similar type of thing would be the Lord is near. So with regard to the turning around, you could say for part one, think again, and part two, something like think Jesus or think his word. Yeah, good suggestions. Yeah. Um, Tom, another one? This isn't theme related, but it's uh, overall the study that I did. There were a couple times when we talked about that urgency while he may be found in that sort of thing. I jotted down just a note, end times thought. But then I went back as I studied it more and I ended up crossing those out because it really, it, this isn't an end time Sunday. It's not really only an end times thought because uh, the urgency of the gospel is put in front of us, you know, in this text and in every place, you know. And I think it's such a common thing today to have what I call convenient Christianity. Just, you know, when I get to it, we'll do it. I'm just not taking it seriously enough. So I crossed out all the end times references and we'll wait for end times for that. But the urgency is now always. Right. It's whenever the word of God comes to you is the time to hear it, think about it, take it to heart, believe it, right? Whenever that may be. Andy? To that point, I do sense, though, that in our world today, because of the, the way that our progressively evolving world, at least in our experience or maybe in our lifetime, seems to be becoming intensifyingly more or uh, more intensely hostile 
to the Christian message. It's always been that way by nature, of course, but it seems like in our culture, it's intensifying. I sense that people are, people do fall victim to uh, that, that temptation to doubt the effectiveness of God's word or to doubt the power of it. They, they become vulnerable in thinking that there's got to be something more to it. So I, I guess with regard to urgency, I, I agree with what Tom said with maybe steering away from end times, but steering more towards the word is never going to lose any of its power. The gates of hell cannot withstand the gospel. And it is just as powerful and effective today than it has been throughout history and time, and, and it will always be this way. So to, you know, to heed the call because the word is, um, the word is this driving force. It's this battering ram, not this uh, soft, fluffy, you know, little pugil stick kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. The, like a hammer that breaks a rack in pieces. Uh, um, we hear in other parts of scripture. Um, yeah. Uh, maybe we could also, uh, we, we mentioned a few already and um, uh, thanks to you, desert dwellers um, have heard some powerful illustrations, but any other illustrations or applications um, that might be helpful to preachers or that those in uh, wetter climes could borrow um, from your experience, Tom? Um, I just go back to, you know, when Luther was, at least I assume this is a true story. If not, he should have said it. Um, when he was approached near the end of his life of, of how the world was a totally different place because of the work that he did and the things that he said and the bold stance that he took and his simple comment was the word did it all. Mm -hmm. Just a reminder that um, one drop of rain may seem insignificant, but but used by the Lord, it waters the earth and brings forth food and feeds everyone. And Luther had such a wonderful handle on that. Um, the word did it all. It was not just, it was not him as a man, but he was equipped with the most powerful thing that could literally change the world. So mm -hmm. that's mm -hmm. a cool illustration to fit in there. Yeah. And it, it reminds me of the first Corinthians reading a little bit too, you know, uh, yeah, I, I planted, Paul says, Apollos watered, but God was the one making things grow all along. Um, we're the ones sharing the word, preaching the word, but it's it's the power of the word, God's own power that is making things grow and change. Uh, Andy? As far as applications go, I, one thing I've been really encouraging my people to do over the last few years is to just actually say the words of God out loud. Because a lot of times they're at home, they're out with their friends, they're at the bedsides, they're even at the hospital bedsides for much longer periods of time than I could ever be, uh, which is obvious, I know. But I mean, I don't want them to resign themselves to just, you know, shallow colloquialisms like it's going to be all right, or I'm here with you, or, um, you know, I'm so sorry. I, I just encourage them in whatever their own way it is to put, to launch the words of God into airspace and to let them work because ultimately that is the tool that they carry with them. So um, just, I guess, a practical application is to just encourage your people to mm -hmm. just even saying something so simple as Jesus loves you, Jesus, at, your loved one is on their bedside. You can say that in their dying hour, you can say that and you can give them the gospel and the hope of, of heaven in your own simple way. And that is the rain shower and the snowfall of the gospel doing its thing. Yeah. 
trust the Lord to produce an effect through his word. Just, just get it out there. Right. Other suggestions for uh, applications or really anything that might be helpful to preachers additionally that um, we haven't mentioned yet as they approach Isaiah 55, 6 to 11. It's, it's another one of those texts that, uh, yeah, there's just so much in here. Um, we'll have to kind of, you, preachers will have to be uh, selective on, you know, what they focus on um, because there is so much. But, yeah, so rich in gospel, uh, the desire of the Lord to um, reach out to people in his grace and, and want them to find him, as verse 6 says, uh, and then the power of the word that is right there with us, um, creating new life, too. Um, maybe we'll leave it there for today and let preachers get after it. Uh, thank you, brothers, for sharing your thoughts based on these words, uh, inspired words from Isaiah. And the Lord bless you all, preachers, as you proclaim that word that does not return empty, but has an effect by God's grace.